Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. This liturgy of life, this life rhythm that he's given us of resting and remembering and receiving as God's people to begin every week. And then out of that rest, we live lives of gratitude, loving our Lord and our neighbors. Uh, we are thankful for the opportunity, any opportunity that we have, to remind ourselves and to the world of the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. Because these are indeed the great and glorious events of history, of all of history. And so we're delighted anytime society catches up with the Lord's prescription, right, and focuses on these great redemptive historical acts of God and remembers them with us, the Church of Christ. If you'd like to celebrate Christ's birth and resurrection every Sunday, please come. Come again and come regularly, because we do this 52 times a year, every week. Uh, come as we praise and worship and confess, and we are reminded and fed by God's Word and by sacrament and strengthened to make it through another week, indeed rejoicing, thriving through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us as his people. Uh, I want to look this morning <clears throat> at a number of things from our text. Uh, we'll return to this text for the next couple of weeks, um, but I wanted to unfold this passage. Uh, we'll unfold it more fully then, but I wanted to focus on, uh, get kind of a more broad orientation from the second half of 2 Corinthians 5 and really focus on one idea or one verse uh, there in this section. You've all heard the phrase, repeated it, I'm sure, at church or in other avenues, other places. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ shall come again. Right? This is a very common, ancient declaration that the church has used in worship from the earliest times. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ shall come again. It's a summary of the glorious news of the gospel, the good news of the work of Christ. It is used to communicate the facts and benefits of what the Lord Jesus has done for his people. Christ has died. right? He is punished for our sins, for the sins of his people. Christ is risen. He has conquered death. He is the victor over death. He has made certain our resurrection in his resurrection. Christ shall come again. And when he does, we will see him face to face before Him, and will be changed to be like His glorious resurrected body. That's the simple expression of the gospel. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ shall come again. And these facts are what we are gripped with every Lord's Day, in all of our lives really. They transform our thinking and our praying and our living before God and before man. Many people take this specific day of the year to focus on the glorious resurrection of Jesus. We praise God for that. Any focus, as I said, we can get on the resurrection of Christ, we'll take it and we'll rejoice. The resurrection is an historical fact. He actually died. He actually factually was raised. And he truly will come again. And while we're meditating on the resurrection this morning, I want us to see the significance of the resurrection for you, for God's people, for us, the, 
the people of God, right? What should we, uh, what should the death and resurrection of Jesus mean for us? We recite these things in the creeds. We say and we read the words. We sing of the glories of the resurrection. And from all of it, how should we be moved and affected and driven by the truth of the work of Jesus, his death and resurrection? Well, in our text, verses 11 to 21, it gives us something to consider regarding these very things, particularly verse 14. Verse 14, right? Paul has been, you'll recall, defining and defending his work as an apostle, the sent one by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us, controls us. And that word controls is used in other places in the New Testament, and it's used as some, uh, someone who is seized by something, right? to be seized by something, to be devoted completely to, to be gripped with, to be hard-pressed, hemmed in, taken with. Sometimes the word is used for being absorbed in something. Right? In Acts 18, verse 5, in Acts 18, 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, this is what verse 5 says, Paul was occupied, absorbed with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Right? It said Paul was occupied, he was seized with, he was absorbed with the word of God, he was absorbed with it, intensely, occupied, taken up with the word of God, preaching it. He could not preach it. Right? So it means occupied, absorbed with, devoted to, compelled and in verse 14 of our text this morning, the sense of the word is not really control, like being constrained with chains or held back. It means, in verse 14, compelled or impelled. We are compelled for the love of Christ, His love for us, and His love in us for Him. Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. We are compelled by the gospel to yell it out, to give it out in boldness and in passion. And that's the important part of this day. Important part of this day that we're to focus on. More than anything else, we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And we, brothers and sisters, have an occasion and a duty to respond to this Jesus. We are to be compelled by the good news. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death, life, death, Resurrection, ascension, session, and sending of the Spirit. We're to be compelled by the gospel. So let's take a moment to look now at this. Uh, we see that given the glories of the resurrection, the greatest display of love by God for his people, what impact should that have on our lives? What impact should that have on our lives, the people of God? That love compels us, Paul says. It should compel us to what? You see an outline in your liturgy. It's a very short outline, two lines. Uh, the love of Christ should compel us to be, first of all, completely given over to the one who loved us, to be completely given over to Christ. Right? His love for us compels us. It impels us. It controls us. And it says here that the gospel of Christ seized Paul's heart, and it should seize and compel our hearts as well. And then secondly, the love of Christ should compel us to be compassionately giving out that gospel to the world. Right? We're to be given over to Christ and giving out to the world. Uh, 
You'll notice here both things in this text, in this outline, uh, both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Right? Loving God and loving neighbor. So let's look now at these effects or results of Christ's work on the cross in the glorious empty tomb that first resurrection uh, morning. For they are indeed the declarations of his everlasting love for his people. And that love, dear Christian, indeed should compel us. It should cause us to be wholly given over to him who first loved us. Completely given over to Christ. All right, listen again to verse, <clears throat> verses 14 and 15. Uh, in full, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see it there, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ died and he was raised, not for his sake, but for our sake, for you and for me. If we go on to verses 18 and 19, we read what that means for us. Right again, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see it there. You get it. Right? God in Christ reconciled us. He takes enemies, those who were enemies of God, this perfectly holy, completely just and holy God, this one who by virtue of his character and his being must punish sin, sin cannot exist before this God. This God takes us, his enemies, and he reconciles us to himself to be like friends, at peace, right? Shalom. Through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. The holy creator, right? his infinite wrath against sin was satisfied by the, an exercise of his infinite mercy in sending his son to die for needy sinners like you and like me. It's glorious. Glorious indeed. And then Paul, in that most wonderful verse, verse 21, speaks of the glory and awe of the gospel. Right? He says, for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. And that's it, right? That great exchange, right? Our sins given to, imputed to Jesus, and his perfect, perfectly righteous life and death are given, imputed to us. And so Paul says here that one has died for all, he says, for our sake, God has reconciled us to himself. And that Jesus Christ has what? For our sake, become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, has that message seized your hearts? Has that gripped your heart? Is that compelling you? That God the Son has become sin for you. That you might be the righteousness of God. Has his love for you compelled you to be given over wholly and completely to this Jesus, the Son of God? Are you enthralled by the gospel? Are you captivated that the Son himself left glory 
to be the means whereby you can be reconciled to God? Does it seize and captivate your heart that the second person of the Trinity left heaven to enter into and live in his creation in humility, to suffer and die on a real wooden cross, to die a horrible death, to justify you? Because it was not possible for us to justify ourselves or to lift ourselves up by our living. Therefore, he came down for us. Do you see that this is everything? This is everything. And the more we grasp these things, right, the cross, the resurrection, the more we grasp that they are not merely opportunities for us to take one special day in a year or to gather as families and have special meals and take pictures. Those are all wonderful things. And the more we get the fact that the cross and resurrection aren't just events that happened out there so long ago, somewhere out in history, in the ether. It means everything. Everything. It is a controlling factor of our lives. Christ's love in the resurrection, shown in the resurrection. And this is what totally captivated and compelled Paul, the apostle. Right? We are, we're compelled by the love of Christ. And it was, he was compelled to preach to the lost, rebellious sinners, with passion and with urgency. So much so that, remember verse 13, what did they think? His opponents thought that Paul was out of his mind, that he was crazy. He was beside himself. He was so caught up in the gospel, he was beside himself. He preached and he preached and he persuaded, completely given over to Christ. The resurrection displayed the love of Christ. And that love compelled Paul to give the gospel out to the world. To give the gospel out to the world. And that's our next and last point. Briefly, that the love of Christ should compel us to be giving out the gospel to the world. Christ's love for Paul led him to, long, uh, to love and long for the salvation of the world. Right? That the world would go uh, that the word would go out into to all mankind. And you see how the one flows from the other. From the love of Christ for us, there should be that desire, that drive for the expansion of the gospel, for the, for the gospel to go out to the world and to bring the world, to bring them to the only Savior of mankind. Right? And we think about these things throughout the week. And we get excited about many things. Our excitement about our family, or about sports, or entertainment, or politics. Right? So many are bold to argue and debate and seek to convince and educate others about this or that political or social issue. How many of us are that bold in speaking about Jesus and the gospel like we are about sports, or technology, or politics? Right? It's the message of the gospel, the message of the victory Jesus uh, his victory over death through his, by his resurrection. That's the utmost issue that can, should compel us to speak and to go to the world and shout, do you know what this Jesus has done? Have you heard? Of course, we look at Paul and his zeal and his drive and his singular focus and passion, and we're humiliated, right? We're put to shame by our own performance, attitude towards these things. Because none of us do that like Paul did that. 
we're timid, we're fearful, we don't want to have a conflict or offend anyone. Setting aside the fact that whenever you talk about politics, you're going to offend someone and have conflicts. I know I'm abysmal at this as well. But God tells us in verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, what a thing to compel us. To compel us to give that out to the world. The love we have is the love of Christ. Right? Before and until he loved you, you cannot truly begin to love. You cannot truly love. Because you cannot give what you do not have. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 4. He says, Love is not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right? To satisfy divine wrath because of our sins. Jesus was sent. He loved us to do that, to accomplish that. And he says also, we love. How? Why? Because he first loved us. He first loved us. As shameful and timid as we are, right? regardless of where we are in this, in this complex, unless our hearts are granite, they must be compelled and devoted, wholly given over to Christ. And if and when that is the case, we begin to love the world. Not worldliness, but the people out there in the world. You know, it's very hard to hate other people when your heart is filled with the love of God. Which he tells us what? The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5. 5. And so we recall again, we must always recall that there was a B.C. time for us as well. right? There was a time before Christ for us. A time before we knew the love of Christ. When we went from not loving Him to loving Him completely and being driven by His love. We remember this, and our hearts are softened, right? And they beat. They're alive. They grow over time by the work of the Spirit. And we realize that the world is full of people, real people. And they are in dire need of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we must go and tell them, in some way, contribute however we can. And you might be thinking, well, Paul was an apostle, called radically and sent by Jesus himself to the Gentiles. And you're thinking, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a pastor. No, but you are a Christian. You are a Christian, right? Paul is talking about preaching and the ministry and the message of reconciliation. In verse 18, 19, and then verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Do you see it there? We're those who speak on behalf of Christ. In the place, as it were, of Christ. God makes his appeal through us, Paul says. God speaks through us. Right? He says, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And you reconcile to him by believing on the one who accomplished all of this, the Son of God. Yes, this primarily in its context was for apostles and preachers after them, but all believers share the same drive and the same message through which the Spirit works. All of us represent Jesus to the world. Right? All of us. 
who are believers. And Paul here is exhorting these Christians to lay hold of the world and to give them the message of Christ's love, to show them that love by their lips and by their life. Right? You'll recall, Corinth was a gnarly place, the place to which he was writing. It was like modern-day San Francisco or probably better Las Vegas. Paul is exhorting them to stop trying to date the world. Stop pretending and trying to stay fitted in with the world. With their ways and with their worldview. And there's a message here just in that for all of us, dear Christian. I'll only touch on it in brief. But we must take care. We must take great care at what we are allowing to filter our thinking and our believing. Right? We must never abandon our worldview, a biblical worldview, for any other thing. We must resist and take care and be on guard against this trend to take the teachings and hysteria of the world and allow it to put God's word on trial. Systems of thinking from the world, from those who hate God and despise Jesus, must not judge God's word. It's God's word that is our standard. It's what must test all other things. His word. We must test all things in light of the perfect word of God. All things. And Paul pleads with the Corinthians here, with the appeal of God himself, be reconciled to God. Turn from darkness to light. Turn from death to life. Turn from hell to heaven. You've experienced the blessings won by the resurrection of Christ. Give that gospel out to the world, he says. And what about us, brothers and sisters? What about you? Does this resonate with you? Are you compelled? Are you compelled by Christ's love for you? Compelled to love the world with his love? Does his love drive you? into His Word, into prayer, into service, into seeking to tell others opportunities that you can have to tell them, to bring them, to invite them, to live out the faith before them, to tell them about your joy in Christ, that you're given over to Christ. Oh, that we would better witness the love of Jesus to the world, to our city, to our neighborhoods, with our lives and with our lips. We begin devoting a set time each week for prayer here, for earnest prayer, for pointed prayer. And I pray that in that and in the Spirit's working, we would be grown in this area, that we would long for the spread of the gospel, to show the love of Jesus to the world, and that we would be used, yes, weak, small, pathetic us, that we would be used by God as agents of reconciliation to the world, as he intends in his providence, in his sovereignty. That's what it tells us here. And because it is so, we trust it and we believe it. What else is there to be believed and loved and longed for? What else? The love of Jesus. Do we long for Christ? Or do we long for work? or the next game, or the next political issue, or cultural fads, or following the world, or for what others have planted in your minds and hearts. What do we feed on 
in our minds and hearts. Is it those things? Or is it Christ and the joy of your salvation? It must be Jesus. We long for Him. And you know, if you are His, you have Him. He has you. And you know that line from that song that we relate to? It says, Lord, I, I, you fill my cup. I lift up for more. More of you, Lord. More of you. So brothers and sisters, as we close, let us remember the power and glory of the resurrection. Yes, this day, but all of our days. And let us long, like Paul, to be ready to lose everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection. Let us be absorbed, absorbed, driven, compelled by the love of Christ to give ourselves wholly, whole-souled over to Him in our living and show Him through our life and lips to the world, all to His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for the way that You work for your wonder and love and great mercy and your work amongst your people. Lord, we long for you and for a closer walk with Christ. May we find our life there. May we see who we really are and what is really promised to us and not despair, but rejoice. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information, uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, like a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.